Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your community. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey man, good to see you. How are you? Matt, doing great. Great to be here with you. Great to hang out. It's uh, summer is in full swing here in Southern California. Yeah. You can hear the. Uh, it's not stopping the contractors next door who are getting ready to get this property off their hands and into somebody else's hands. You know, it's funny. James Stacy on the Gray NATO um, would always complain about any kind of work being done. You know, in either at the neighbor's house or in the street in front of his place, and I could never hear it. Never, I, I have never. a feeling people are going to hear this, but. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, the sun's getting ready to go down here, but they're still hard at work. So God bless them. We should probably give them the beer that we just poured for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I think they probably have earned it. Yeah, <laughs> roofing all day in the hot LA sun. Yeah, that's not easy. That no, is not easy. Not at all. Well, man, thanks again for hosting us. Um, Casa del Sol. Um, it's always fun to be in person. You know, I think it gives us a better, yep. um, just a different vibe and feel. You know, I, a bunch of our fellow podcast buddies and, and, and um, you know, uh, uh, kind of collectives Yep. Uh, don't get a chance, I don't think, to do in person as often as we do, and I, they always comment that you could sort of, and other, everybody else that listens to sort of always comments, you can sense the, you can feel it, you can hear it when you're together in person. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I, so, I fairly recently discovered, and I don't know, I've been aware of it, you know, in sort of the, the periphery of my consciousness, but there's a... Um, I don't want to call them new, but I mean, a, you know, a relatively new podcast, uh, Risk Check Podcast, Bro was on with them. Yeah. Um, and I started listening to these guys and I'm like, where the hell have I been? They're, it's a really good, well-produced, but they are always, uh, you know, in situ. So they're all, all together. They yeah. do some video and it really like lends to that feeling of being at a, at a get together and just ear hustling like good conversation. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I always, I do always, uh, you know, appreciate those, those pods that do sort of the audio and visual and, um, you know, I, I think they do the same. So that's pretty cool. Yep. What's, um, what's new in your world, man? What's happening since the last time we, we were together at Feldmar, which was a fantastic field trip, by the way. That was a fun field trip. Very different, I think, not just for us, but for, for any other sort of pods in our space. But it was really fun, A, just to kind of, obviously, they're, they're friends of ours and have been, like, super supportive. But how fun was it to meet Dre, you yeah. know, and as you, you're a girl dad, I'm a girl dad. Dre is what, maybe eight, I think eight years old, nine yeah, years old. That's right. Um, her knowledge of like the industry and the space and people in it, I, I think if the world is her oyster, if she wants to pursue this, you know, the watch game as a career. Um, and it's just, it was a lot of fun. I don't yeah. know. I, I liked it. It was really fun. And the feedback's been really cool on the episode. I think people have appreciated sort of the you know, next generation of, of sort of watch appreciation and just the way that she approaches it. So that was, that was good fun. Um, but yeah, no, we're back here. Um, you know, I had a few kind of update, like notes for, for sort of what's new in our world. I, I had, I think I had mentioned this to you in our drive out to Feldmar and a few people were trying to, um, 
they were trying to car spot us when you, I think you had posted a, a little story, uh, our Thelma and Louise uh, yes. uh, <laughs> reenactment when we were driving out there. And uh, people are car, car spotting us, wondering what we were in. So uh, my updates for this week were, were kind of funny because I mentioned in, in the car that I, uh, and this is most certainly not a podcast about diving, driving, you know, and, no, and most yeah. certainly watches, but I was really proud of myself just a day or two before we got together in the car because I had solved some car issues and, and I lamented with, to you that I, I wasn't going to have as, as uh, positive as an update as I hope. but, you know, I had the, we have a, a Cayenne and, uh, and I think Cayenne and Macon drivers might, might be able to sympathize, but there was a drainage problem through one of the hoses that runs underneath the, uh, the passenger side footwell basically underneath and behind the, the glove box and that was just spraying water, you know, and so it was on all the forums, Ren's list and everything and, and long story short was able to, to clear this this hose problem which, you know, saved me a trip to the dealer uh, or to the independent shop actually and um, so I was really stoked about that and then about simultaneously the, the Corvette, we were in the C6 driving out to Feldmar with the, uh, with the top down and um, my fuel sensors went out and I was really bummed, like basically my fuel gauge, you know, I lost my fuel gauge one day I was on the again on the forums, ran some Tecron through, got it back. I was like, okay, that was a $12 fix. This is fantastic. Lost fuel gauge again, and um, thought you know we're kind of game planning, kind of you know how we might need some other fixes. Uh, realized that the the, the the fuel tank cap hadn't been replaced, and at this you know at this point it's, it's pretty old. Was not keeping a good seal. Got the fuel gauge back again, and I thought, okay, we got a $35 fix. It's still way up. Yeah. You know, we're still way on top. And, uh, and I just lost the fuel gauge again. So Damn it. Uh, I know. I thought I had really good news to report, but I was sort of sympathizing with uh, Jason and James on uh, sort of this ongoing. <laughs> and I'm not a gearhead. I'm not a re- I can't wrench on, on the cars all that much, but I try to do what I can. And long story short, it, uh, I'm hoping it's not as bad as the fuel sensors inside the tank because uh, I think that requires a lot of hours of labor to, to get the back end off and, and access. Yeah, I, I, I suspect you have an electrical thing there if it's intermittent. Um, it's weird though that restoring kind of the uh, the pressure didn't fix it, or that it fixed it, but then that didn't last. Because that's I've had that issue in other cars. Um, you know, we get the check engine light if you don't put the thing on. Yeah, this is just it. It doesn't balance everything up in terms of the the pressurization of the system overall. So hopefully that works out for you. But that yeah, that, we'll see. That's that's watch budget right there. That's, so that's Corvette woes. <laughs> this is you, you drive the nice cars, man. So that's what happens. Um, I, well, I personally don't have any updates. I mean, it's just been a few days. But um, you know, with that, I, I guess that'll we'll save a few minutes of you know listening to me prattle on about something. Let's just dive into wrist check, port check. What do you have on the wrist? What do you have in the glass? Um, both really fun things, maybe uh, one more unexpected than the other. I, I had mentioned sort of on uh, on sort of some of the group chats and and with a few folks that I, I had basically a new watch alert, um, a little bit unexpected, expected but unexpected. Yeah. Um, I have on the wrist a what is my great grandfather's watch, and uh, we had some family out a couple, almost maybe a month or a month and a half ago now, and. Um, before I get into what it is, my uncle, uh, it was his grandfather, my, my mom's brother, had mentioned sort of offhand that he had a few of my great-grandfather's watches sitting around from when, you know, when they had to sort of, you know, clear the estate. And I was I was just like, I was struck. And nobody told me that, that there would have been watches sitting around. I didn't know. I mean, I, I, I knew my great-grandfather all the way 
until we uh, until he passed. But I, I just didn't remember. I was probably a little young at the time, but I didn't remember a wristwatch, and nobody really talked about it that they remembered it on him. So I was kind of like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, he's in the middle of. He just closed on his uh, escrow to move out of the, the the last house he was in for a long time. So he said, Greg, I know I have them, but you're gonna just have to be patient because I'm moving, and when I find them, I'll get them out to you. I promise. Okay, no problem. He texts me literally. He said he's closing escrow, you know, tomorrow, but he found these watches, put them in the mail, and they arrived on Father's Day, which really has no significance to anything, but it just felt sort of extra neat. Yeah. And I open up this package, and there's three watches inside, and you know, I can get into what some of the other ones are, but in particular, the one on the wrist right now is a gold-plated Hamilton. And it was really hard for me to at first figure out what it was, but I was just, I was like, oh my gosh, this is way cooler than I could have even expected. Right. I ended up being able to sort of identify this thing, and, and I would love any help, you know, from, from anybody listening to you. I, I believe it to be a Hamilton Seabreeze 3. And if I understand the Hamilton Seabreeze line, they actually gave them, you know, Seabreeze, Seabreeze 2, Seabreeze 3, Seabreeze 4. And I think that puts it at basic, if I understand sort of everything correctly, 72 to 74, if I under, you know, if I sort of understood the, the sort of uh, reference number in, in the years it was produced then. Um, Gold-plated, uh, manual wind, very simple and austere in its design in some ways, but also very of the 70s. Oh, yeah. Um, if this thing's awesome, man. I am totally in love with it. It's, it's this sort of cushion case, C case, um, very, you know, minimal dial construction, but it's, it's, it's sort of got like a silvery champagne-y dial, um, hardly any text on the dial at all, really just says Hamilton and, and I think, you know, T-Swiss T, and, uh, and it's running, it's running, I, I think it's running a manual uh, at a 2390, Okay. Uh, it's a little fast, uh, but pretty, pretty within reason for considering how long it probably sat in a drawer. And um, I've got this thing on a on a on a black kind of pebbled textured leather uh, strap, and I think it just it kicks ass, man. So I'm I'm holding the watch right now, and my impressions are like beyond favorable. For one thing, this thing looks like it has not been touched. Nobody has farted around with this thing. The case, I can count at least one, two, I would say three distinct case finish types. So you've got, you know, the bezel is a, a smooth finish. There's a radially brushed case finish when you look, you know, kind of top down in plan form. Then there's a, you know, the smooth edge again, and then a, like a longitudinal brush along that, the side, you know, uh, side case. And then a, what appears to be a steel case back, stainless steel case back. This is saying basically water resistant. It doesn't say how deep. I wouldn't get it wet, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got the side crown that looks to be in pretty good shape. It's clearly worn a little bit more than the rest of the case, but overall this thing's awesome. The red second hand is like a really cool touch, and I love the fact that the um, the plexi on this thing is in good shape on the exterior, but when you hold it in tangential light, you can see that the underside is completely crazed, like with spider you know, cracks or whatever you call that. It doesn't seem to disrupt the integrity of the, the sapphire or the crystal, I should say. Um, but yeah, really, really great watch. I mean, uh. that's that's the stunner of the three. I mean, all three are, I think are, are interesting. They're, everything certainly is a keeper for sentimental reasons or whatever. But that is just straight up. That's a pretty bitchin' bitchin' watch. Oh, yeah, thanks, man. It was, it was definitely the other. You know, there's this uh, Lugren. 
I'm understanding that correctly, I did some initial homework on it, but I couldn't find a lot about it. L-U-G-R-A-N. Yeah. This very, like, sort of mid-century, I'm guessing 50s or 60s, uh, kind of gentleman's dress kind of sport watch. Yep. Um, pretty classic in what you might expect, sort of a silver dial, um, you know, a, a 12, you know, an Arabic numeral 12, and, and really nothing else on there except to the fact that it says automatic. And then, the, and even smaller and even more, you know, sort of discreet Timex, again, another automatic, um, which is the only one of the three that isn't running currently. So, um, really super interesting. Um, looking to find out more about them in general. My mom remembers them, remembers this, this Hamilton being on his wrist, yeah. which is really cool. Uh, my mom and her brothers and sisters were very close to my great-grandfather, their grandfather. Uh, he was sort of the father figure in their life. And so he's, he's sort of this bigger-than-life than personality in my family, especially right. on my mom's side. He really means a lot to a lot of people. We lost him about 15 years ago. but um, So it's really neat to have, have this kind of part of, of him with us. And I was just, I brought out the, uh, the Omega Seamaster Cosmic 2000 as sort of a case study, literally and figuratively. Yeah, and, because and they're, they're, I'm sorry, I don't mean No, it. go right I, I mean, they're, they're clearly, uh, these things are kissing cousins. Oh my gosh. The, the Omega is a little thicker, but it is, um, in every other respect, I mean, aside from the, the case metal treatment, it's a very similar architecture, a very similar design. The handset on the Hamilton, I think, is a little more um, of the era. But, yeah, these these two things look like... Um, God, uh, Cole Pennington did... I don't know if you happen to see it, but the most recent talking yeah. watches with the guy who collects in Paris. I just saw it yesterday. This would be perfect. Yeah, you're right. This would be perfect yeah, for you're that. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Hamilton and an Omega from probably early to mid-70s. Very, very similar aesthetic. Um yeah, we're, and this is so random. Dude, as as we're saying this, I'm getting a text right now from Cole. Oh, okay, that's what oh, you were just man. pointing to. Cole, if you happen to listen to this, I don't know if your ears are burning or whatever. Um, that's just, anyway, uh, that's an aside. Um, we'll come back to, like, text strings and, and group chats here in a second. But, yeah, an amazing watch. Super cool. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, probably, I'll probably risk check it, and as I learn more about it, you know, hopefully people don't get bored of me talking about it, but I'm just I'm through the roof with it. And I was already letting a few pieces go, and, and this really kind of cemented the, the situation where I wanted to make some space in the box and yeah. make sure I service it and get, you know, there's, you know, the, the sort of, you know, commitments that come with incoming watches, you know, so. Yep. Um, so what's in the glass? In the glass uh, is a favorite, I think, of, of both yours and mine, and I think a lot of people, La Chouf. Um, actually, we, we, we both had a choice here, and I went with the blonde, sort of the classic blonde, um, 8%, you know, Belgian, I think probably one of the old school Belgian beers, you know, if you were to think, you know, is, is at least in my sort of, you know, early drinking days, that was like the default amazing, you know, Belgian beer that you could find with some ease if you were in the right place. Yeah, I think most quality uh, liquor stores, bottle shops are going to carry that. I, I, Either that one or the IPA, yep. which, spoiler alert, that's what's in my glass. So we have one of each of these. You went with the uh, the blonde. And that is, I love how dirty a pour that is. Yeah. That's Ooh, in the we best mean that in every way. sense of the way, yeah, in yeah. every sense of the word. You know, it's funny because, you know, as you get into yours, we both sort of went off each other, which was sort of complimentary. Maybe we're co-hosts of, of a podcast or something. Maybe we understand how to compliment. Normally, I would have went with the IPA, but I, I wanted to go on the blonde because it seemed a little bit out of character. Same. I, I usually go the blonde and wanted to try the IPA. Um, but that is kind of funny. We do try to talk about, you know, beer and wine and tequila a little more than, you know, the other podcasts. How would you describe that beer? Oh, man. 
you know, it's got sort of like, um, you know, it's got a, a, a sort of hazy, you know, kind of wit beer sort of, you know, nose to it. You know, it's um, it's a little dry in a good way on, uh, you know, sort of mid palate, and um, it just finishes really nicely. I think it fits really well on a beautiful, you know, sunny day. Um, it's, uh, you know, at eight percent, you wouldn't know. You really, I mean, those that's an easy eight percent. I say that, you know, understanding if you did two or a couple of those, you probably, you know, it's not like dropping a hammer on your toe figuratively. Um, in terms of the ABV, but it's it's definitely a little higher than average. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and the and the label, you know, the artwork is is sort of I think uh, iconic I, at this point, sort of. Yeah, you know, yeah, the little uh, kind of I don't know if that's like the the roaming gnome looking, you know, dwarf or whatever, but you know, on the unicycle and with the Abbey in the background, it is it's everything that I kind of hope a good Belgian beer is going to be because it's not over the top there are some belgian beers that are so yeasty and so kind of almost syrupy yeah um that i i'll go like short pours because i want to taste it but you know i just 12 ounces of of something that's that like intensely of one thing is just too much so anyhow well, that's cool. Well, that's a great segue. So, so wrist check, pour check. Uh, well, I'll, what do you got? I'll do it in reverse. So, I've got the Le Chouf, the IPA, and this is the IPA, kind of the European style for people who are sick of West Coast IPAs, which are just huge, you know, like uh, uh, hot, hot bombs. bombs. Exactly. That's funny. We said that at the same time. But yeah, if you know something that's not like super high IBU, it's not terribly bitter. This would be almost like, and I, I use this. It, especially when you look at like the clarity of the pour, it's not quite. I'm holding up the glass here to this, you know, to the light here, folks. It, there's a certain like opacity here, but it's not. It's not as um, like cloudy as a as a hefeweizen, but it's got some of those notes on the nose. You know, a little bit of like clove, a little bit of banana, but it is not terribly bitter. It is just one step removed like further out on the bitterness scale from like a, a typical you know like a, a Czech Pilsner or something like that it's super drinkable I don't have the bottle in front of me so I don't remember the uh, ABV on this but I think it is less than eight I want to say it's you know something like uh, you know maybe in the sevens and Greg is looking that up so now I've got to talk and fill the time but fantastic pour and again this is the the anti-ipa so if you you think you don't like ipas the shoof ipa is fantastic and again the same great bottle art oh, you know if, if, be, if beer advocate is accurate you're gonna laugh because it, it sort of you know tells to the sort of you know understatedness of the booziness beer advocate has it at nine percent oh my god all right then <laughs> Well, perhaps it's just my eyes saw that I wanted to see seven <laughs> and where I saw nine, you know, but uh, I need to get the prescription redone. But the bottom line is it's a great pour. Love this one. And on the wrist is, um, I haven't had this on in a minute. And this is this is arguably my favorite kind of day-to-day -to -day tool watch. It's certainly, this is sort of the, the halo piece or one of the two, maybe three halo pieces in my collection. This is the Blanc Pond 50 Fathoms Bathyscaphe. I've got it back on the uh, on the green sailcloth, the the Blanc Pond uh, strap that it comes on. Uh, I've got one black, one green. This is kind of the, the militarized. I don't know how you describe it, but yeah, just 
an amazing watch. The, the dial finishing is amazing. It's, it's at once, it is gray, brown, bronze, little undertone of gold. Um, and it, it picks up on every color strap, whether it's brown, green, you know, gray, black. Phenomenal watch. And then obviously for me, um, there is a certain amount of appeal to the movement. This is, you know, the, the 100 hour, uh, I'm sorry, 120 hour Frederick Bouquet movement. Beautifully decorated, you know, big honking gold, uh, you know, uh, eccentric weight. And it's just super cool. The rotor is just fun to look at. And again, everything about this watch is like stealth. So even the rotor, it's, it's gold, but they like rhodium plate it. And I think it's media blasted, so it doesn't look gold. And you know, it's you just have to know to know. Yeah, know to know. But I, I love wearing this watch because it just absolutely disappears. It's like ultimate stealth mission, despite the fact that it's just a it's a phenomenal piece of horological awesomeness. It really is. And yep. uh, you know, last week we were we were in the Breguet room, which is of course next to the Blanc Pond room. And uh, you know, of course we spent some time over there too and, and I think you even mentioned to Dre one or two times how, how much you like the Blanc Pond room. <laughs> oh the Blanc Pond room's amazing. Hey, wait, don't take that off. I'm going to take a picture. You Folks, you can't see this, but I, I happen to bring a, uh, a favorite of mine, the Seiko Marine Master 300, the SLA 021, and Greg is trying it on. A little out of his comfort zone, but it actually looks pretty good on you, bro. And have you called this, I want to say you've called this before, the, uh, the sort of alpha... You know, alpha predator think, of the of the lineup. No. Yeah, yeah. That's been I, sort of I your think that's the. I think the way I described it, that's the the Ur dive watch, the apex predator, whatever the the term I use. But you know, there there are things that cost more in their lineup, but I don't think there's anything better. Um, and it's like the ultimate distillation of just Seiko badassery. There's a guy, I I think you follow him as well. Um, and I don't know I don't know his real name so sorry man I'm gonna mangle your name or you know I don't have your name but Speedy Fett you know the oh guy yeah who, of course yeah yeah the, the Hawaiian super dude. cool guy yeah, yeah yeah and I think he um, he discovered this recently and is just like all over the place with it and I'm I'm so stoked to see it on him because it's it to me you know he's much closer I think to the physical environs where the lifestyle is real for you sure, know, I'm, sure. I'm, he's on the Hawaiian Islands is that right I don't think we're getting yeah, anything yeah, like yeah 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 he's he's in Hawaii and for me you know it's suburban dad grilling you know Hawaiian shirt you know it's very poser styles but for this guy like it just I, and I don't know you dude you could be a dentist in real life for all I know but that's nothing against dentists but um you know, it just, it, there's something about seeing him rocking that watch, you know, in Hawaii. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, that's rad. <laughs> Anyhow. That's so good. So that's the, uh, that's the wrist check, poor check. And I think it's time to just dive into kind of our main topic because we got an that's interesting an excellent segue. Today. That was an excellent segue after going through two dive watches and, and talking about the, uh, the SLA. Um, yeah, I think you foreshadowed it earlier, right? You said, you know, there's been sort of a... A, a back and forth on some threads and uh, DMs and, and sort of, you know, um, uh, kind of group chats that we have. And, you know, one of the ideas was maybe to reflect back on on sort of watches of the decade and to pick up, you know, one decade per person and pick out three watches that might make a really compelling three watch collection. Um, and so I think that's what we're doing. And I think some of our buddies might join in the fun 
or the next, you know, couple, uh, you know, week, two weeks, three weeks, or the next couple episodes in their own pods too, you, you sort of know the, the general cast of characters, right? And um, so I think that's what we're going to dive, you know, jump into today. And uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of interested not only to see what your what decade you thought was sort of the most interesting to focus on, and then of course you know the rest of the team too, and, and sort of also what your your three watch collection looks like. Yeah, totally. So by way of background, and we've talked about this a few times amongst ourselves, you and I, um, we talked about this, and we I think we talked about this maybe two episodes ago about how we discussed this with Cameron Weiss of Weiss Watches, but there's you know. So many great watches. I'm a huge proponent of the 90s and there being so much value. And, the you know, the question that's out there for a lot of people who are kind of into it but maybe not deeply expert is what what constitute vintage, what constitutes, sorry, vintage, at what sort of age does a watch become vintage versus neo-vintage or vintage adjacent or whatever? Is it 20 years, 25 years? Is it, uh, you know, two, three, four generations past in a, in a model um, this is the kind of thing we talk about and, and again the cast of characters as you refer to you know these are the guys from wrist cheese radio whiskey and watches and some other folks and we've kind of toyed with the idea of hey rather than try to focus on this for an individual podcast what if we open the conversation a little bit to include everybody and have everybody riff on their own take and if we talk about watches from the 60s from the 70s the 80s the 90s the early thousands right that what the, the aughts yeah um and have everybody pick a decade and pick some watches and then you know kind of pitch your choice mm-hmm. so we happen to have i think the first recording so we've got our first choice there's no exclusivity here no. i think that was our ground rules if somebody wants to overlap on a decade that's fine but um and, and, you know, to sort not to sort of, I think it was really fun the last time we did sort of this, what we called shared episode, yep. you know, approach on, on, on the pod. I think, um, you know, we basically did our three watch collection, I think, and the, and the price threshold was 10,000. Yep. So we all participated in that, right? Whiskey and watches and, and, and wrist cheese. Yeah. And, uh, and after the fact, we got a, I, we got a ton of, uh, of comments and feedback on it. Here's, you know, and that was super cool. So, you know, again, we would love to see that again. So if you have thoughts on your favorite decade, and what you would build out as the rewatch collection from that decade, send them our way. Because we were, you know, after that last episode, that, that, three, that shared episode on three watch collection, we got a ton of people that said, oh man, it made me really think, and here's my three watch collection, and really made me think about how I would, you know, maybe, you know, if I had to restart it tomorrow, what it would look like. And, and so we hope that, it, you know, people, you know, consider the topic and, and kind of share their feedback too, because we'd love to hear what everybody's ideas are. Yeah, it's absolutely. So, and, and not to toot my own horn, but I'm gonna just throw this out there. Um, I kind of I kind of tossed this out to the group, and and, and sort of kickstarted I think this this idea because <laughs> you and I had recorded I think it was two episodes ago. Um, I can't remember exactly what the topic of conversation was, but at one point you and I were talking about 90s and 2000s watch hunting. Yeah. And how we love to play in that space, and just uh, right after that, Rischies. The, not the most previous, uh, not the most recent episode, but the episode before that. I think Schmitty had said, "The '90s and 2000s, I could leave all those, all that watch design behind." And, oh, and yeah. I thought to myself, we literally just recorded a day or two before that, and literally said, "That's our wheelhouse, man. That's exactly where we live." Oh yeah, you know, there's. <laughs> so I was like, "My wheel's turning." You know, you it, the whole hobby is about separating the wheat from the chaff, and yeah, granted, there's a lot of chaff in that era, yeah, but yeah. but the good stuff is really good, yeah. and so that's kind of what we're going to talk about. I guess we sort of without saying as much we sort of I guess are giving away the 
the uh, the we plot are, here we because are. we're foreshadowing pretty heavily. Yeah, I mean, I picked, I put my you know stake in the ground for the '90s as the decade that I'm going to pick from, and you picked the 2000s. I did only because you took the '90s first. Yeah, <laughs> but I always and I, and you'll see when I have some you know uh, some sort of honorable mentions that I, I couldn't help myself. I in some ways I look at the '90s and 2000s as a blend. Um, and I, and I, in some ways, I might even take you know ninety five to two thousand five, but I wasn't allowed to split decades. Well, you know, there's an enormous difference too between watches from like nineteen ninety, ninety one, maybe ninety three, yeah, um, versus stuff that came out like ninety seven, ninety nine, yeah. You know, and there's you could almost kind of split that decade because there's a, a huge difference in the aesthetic, I think, in the design language in a lot of places. But um, yeah, I tell you what. The cool thing about this is we could revisit this every six months and have different watches. I could have and, easily and gone with will. another decade, too. This was just yeah. definitely one that I thought, and I think you did the same, where it was like, if I really had to put my you know, my flag oh, yeah. down, this was the one. But I could easily pick the 70s. I could easily pick the 60s. I could have went 80s easily, too. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, the 2020s. Because at first, I, I, th- I don't think you maybe were considering the 2020s. And I thought, I know we're only three, you know, two, three years in. But I think, quite frankly, somebody could pick the 2020s and say, I love everything that came out in the last three years. And that's where I would go. Yeah, I mean, if you're into modern watches, certainly everything's it's good. It's great stuff. Yeah, and of our sort of collective, the you know, watch pod collective, whatever we call it, but, you know, um, I'm the only one, I think, alive in the 70s. True. And, uh, probably true. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I don't know how old Schmidt is, but I think he's probably in, in the same sort of generation as the rest of you guys. And, you know, I remember a lot of this stuff contemporaneously you know I, I joke around about the boon watches or the boon strap you know with watches that was that's not an ironic thing or a, a, a resurrected thing like I I it's not ironic I, yeah I, I knew people I saw people that was you know uh, that was part of my youth so anyhow yeah. so I have a few I have a few uh, ground rules I wanted to lay down before we got started talk to me goose um, and when we, we were clear like you said there was not a lot of ground rules but in terms of our own personal selections, I thought it was important, A, this was not, in terms of my own personal selection, others might feel differently when they do this, this was not sort of the icons of the decade for me. Yeah. This is not, this was the three most influential or iconic watches of the 2000s. This is not how I made my selections. Somebody else might, and that's totally fine, but this was, to me, was just personal taste, things that really stood out, thought things, watches that I thought were notable. Uh, or cool, or quirky, or or collectible, or or just I thought were freaking cool. Yeah, for sure. Two, um, you know, this was also not maybe the three watches that I absolutely would have collected myself if I said to myself, go out and collect three watches and, and, and focus on this decade. This is not necessarily the three watches that I would build my own collection on if I only had a three watch collection from the 2000s. Um, they're just you know, three watches that I think make a very complete and interesting and cool 2000s collection, you know, for myself. So again, not what I would go out tomorrow and buy myself, but I would easily buy any of the the choices that I made. Um, But just sort of a really well-rounded three watch collection from the decade that I chose. Uh, I agree completely. Um, I also sort of mentally have the same sort of rule for myself the i think people who know me know i love the gmt master it's the the one watch i've gotten rid of that i I miss and would love to have back maybe not the one watch but certainly the most it probably means the most to me the easiest thing in the world would just say well i would take you know for this exercise the latest in the decade production possible 1999 production you know gmt master uh 16 710 and that's my first watch and 
you know, whatever. But that watch doesn't really represent an era. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it was around and huge in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, now. Um, so that's kind of a constant. So I left that off the list, even though that honestly, that probably would be one of my choices in real life. But what's the fun in that? So we'll, and we're here to have fun. Yeah, totally. Well, why don't we do this then? Let's go ahead and, and start. Why don't you lead us off? What is your first choice from the aughts? All right, so 2000s, uh, like we said a few episodes ago, really kind of our favorite playground, both you and I. I yep. think to sort of, you know, our favorite sandbox to play in. Um, for a lot of reasons. A, I just think we, we love the watches. B, I think we love the design um, and the sort of time and place. Uh, and then C, I, you know, for a, from a collector standpoint, there's, there's some value to be had um, in a way that's not just being, you know, sort of like, oh, I need to pinch my pennies, but it's like, there's some cool stuff here that we think is underappreciated, and that's, I think, what we're getting at. Yeah, there's stuff, if you think about it like this, material science was kind of peaking. You know, we'll, there'll probably be new, um, you know, maybe uh, uh, frontiers or whatever that are explored soon or things that have come out now, you know. But uh, material science, the quality of the movements, the quality of the overall, like, you know, integration, the build quality was very good. But it's that awesome kind of sweet spot where it's not, nothing from the aughts is going to be truly considered vintage and nothing from the aughts is going to be considered like the new hotness. And stuff is going to represent, I think, pretty significant value, as you said. So tell me, what do you got? What's first? All right. So my first one. So I built, like like I said, a three watch collection, which I thought was, no, again, not the icons of the decade. I'm not, you know, trying to say this is the top three watches of the 90s, but something that I thought was well-rounded, interesting, and again, just styles and designs that I love and watches I would love to, you know, seek out and probably have too many search alerts yep. already set for. First one's gonna be the Blancpain Villaray Moon Phase. Um, this is particularly, I'm looking at the Ref um, 6553. This is uh, entirely, you know, rose gold case, um, you know, classic Blancpain um, styling. You know, the, the Villaray, I think, is a very important watch in in the um, in the in the catalog for Blancpain. Um, for what it sort of represented, I think the movement itself was also quite important um, as it first came out. And uh, you know, this is a watch that I had sort of really had on my radar. Um, you know, as I was looking at some other watches recently before you know settling on on, on different options. Um, this is just classic '90s, bordering on 2000s. It's actually timeless. I, I, I could even back this up. This is this is easily. I, I want to say the Villaray line first came out in a decade or two before this yeah I, I I believe that's right you know when this brand kind of came out of not hibernation but that's right you know uh, certainly a good I would think at least 10 years maybe 20 years and depending on you know, there's a number of different sort of you know expressions of this like physically but that you know the moon phase the calendar there's complete calendar but it's something oh yeah so folks Greg's pulling up a picture of this right now and like the the way that looks is just amazing um do you follow La Petite Wrist yes yeah I I she has something very similar they do that so well the again um similar to the watch I'm wearing now obviously a very different um a different aesthetic but it's so stealthy 
you know, it doesn't it doesn't scream at you from across the room, but it's it's just super classy and there's a lot of tech going on and it's giving you that classic look and if uh, god the in yellow gold holy cow it's so good it's so good so this is a triple calendar um and, and again it's probably better that when we post a photo it'll make more sense but just to give you a sense you know it's got um sort of the day and month in in these larger large-ish apertures at about 12 o'clock this is again a very this is a 34 35 millimeter case so this is not a large watch um, but these date these apertures are, are large-ish for the size of the dial it's got a, a pointer date with a, a sort of uh, you know half moon style uh, pointer uh, on it, and then it's got a moon phase at you know approximately six o'clock. And this is a classic dress watch look. And um, you know I think again this is sort of timeless in some ways, but also sort of encapsulates I think this period in terms of Blanc Pond's design language. Yep. Um, and. Uh, you know, you, you could be, you could, you could really do well by just having this in your collection. I think I, again, you know, this is not something you're going to wear, you know, out on the hiking trail or, or obviously near the pool. But um, in terms of, you know, if you're going to the office every day, um, you know, in terms of classic, you know, sort of old world charm, I don't know how you could beat this. Best thing about this watch is I can tell what time it is. Oh, very easily. Yeah. You know, this is a complicated watch. It's there's a lot going on in that dial, but everything. Like the stuff that you want to see and have it be punchy, specifically the time, the date, the moon phase, is up front and you can see it instantly. I can't stand watches that have so much stuff going on, but the integration of like the, the actual handset uh, is not done well. If there's not enough contrast, you can't read the time. And this thing is amazing. So I, like you said, it's, it's, it's totally timeless design. And for somebody like you, with like the nature of your job, like you could totally wear this easily. And, and yeah, you could you could dress that down a bit, but at the same time, this could go with, you know, the the most um, like formal attire. I can imagine this in like high power, you know, power power move boardroom situations. Obviously, you're not taking this to the beach, but boardroom. Maybe Absolutely. Not, maybe not beach to the boardroom, but boardroom. <laughs> boardroom's got it covered. That thing looks pretty badass. Looks pretty great at the bar too, I bet. Oh yeah. man. It's it's so this is one I've I've sort of had on my short list. Um, I think it could easily cross a couple decades. Um, the Villa Ray exists, I believe, currently in the lineup. Oh yeah, and yeah. And obviously it's much more contemporary. Um, but it's just it's just a fantastic um, you know, a, a dress watch. In some ways almost like the tank. It's it's clearly a, a dress watch. But there's no reason you don't put this on a suede strap with a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and don't look cool. Yeah, it, it works with just about everything. Maybe not literally everything, but just about everything. Damn close. Yeah, it's fantastic. And you know I have a soft spot for this brand. Um, that's a great first pick. Wanted to come out of the gate strong. Yeah. What well, do you got? Okay, so you know I don't work in an office. Um, you know, I'm typically, uh, you know, Chinos, Polo, uh, Allen Edmonds, you know, rough kind of uh, uh, leather shoes or whatever. And that's sort of what I'm out, you know, and about doing all the time. So I can get away with just about anything. And I do favor tool watches, dive watches, you know, pilot watches, stuff like that. The, the first watch that I'm going to go with is, um, I think, a very 
I would say it's a left turn from what most people would say if you follow me and you know that I like Omega, you know that I like the Seamaster. There is a, there's a particular Seamaster reference or a family of references that's probably pretty um, synonymous with the 90s. And I think most people, if you know that I like James Bond, you know what watch that is. It's going to be the, the iconic Omega Seamaster, blue, the wave dial. The, this, is, um, this is tracking. This yeah. is tracking. And, but that's not what I'm picking. Oh, all right. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm picking like it's uh, super high-powered cousin, and I'm gonna go with the Omega Seamaster Professional 300 Chronograph, Oof. the blue dial, and the reference is the 2297 decimal eight. So this is the basically like the I don't know. It, if Omega Chronograph could meet like a Rolex Tridor, this is titanium, tantalum, and rose gold. And this thing is so, so cool. And they are, they're not super common, but again, talking about like the 90s and the aughts being the decade of value, the, um, I, I almost hesitate to even have picked this watch because <laughs> I, I don't want to keep it free. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to spoil it. But you know, it's 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 a big watch. It's a bit of a hockey puck, but it's light, and it's got like just that cool '90s aesthetic. It's it's in your face. It's a little too much in most respects, but the fact that it's got that you know that gold bezel insert, um, you know the six nine twelve chronograph layout that you're used to with like the seventy seven fifty you know family of movements, which I'm assuming is what that is. Although this is interesting because this is date only, so it makes me wonder if it's a module. Be interested to see it. I have to look that up. It's an interesting point. Seventy-seven fifty is a, is a day date, and it's one of my favorite movements, despite the fact that it's you know it's a uh, not a column wheel, but it it's very robust, very reliable, and the watchmakers I know say it's like secretly kind of low key. It is one of the easiest to regulate within very very tight tolerances, and. Uh, so I had kind of always assumed that, but you know, it occurs to me, maybe not, it might be a module because it is thick, but the bottom line is this thing is it's tantalum, titanium, gold. It is all about the nineties. It wears big and you know, you've got one of my, you know, nineties chronograph watches right now you're playing with. This is the, uh, the Tatima military chronograph. It's probably about that size, but when you put that watch on and Greg's putting on the, uh, the Tatima here, that. Disappears. That, yeah, it's it. It doesn't wear heavy. No. Right. No, that thing disappears. On yeah. The wrist. So that's my choice, and I think you know when you compare the cost of a current time and date limited edition Omega Seamaster in you know with tantalum, gold, and titanium, which I just saw at the boutique, and it was yeah. a plus. Yeah. That thing costs at least four x, right? Yeah. 4x yeah that's right maybe maybe um depending on the exact kind of the quality of the the chronograph that you're talking about maybe the delta isn't that big but i mean it's orders of magnitude larger the cost um and you get the same kind of vibes the same sort of materials and gold is gold tantalum is tantalum it's it's cool it's just neat and to me nothing says like you know early mid 90s like that chronograph this thing is awesome. <laughs> it is. So I, I think I stumbled. I didn't know this ref uh, until very recently. Yeah. And the only reason is because uh, Chase Horology 411 
and I did go to the Omega Boutique about a week or two ago, and in the case was the newer version of this, yep. which is spectacular. I mean, it is awesome. And I think I came home, immediately jumped on, wanted to know more about it, because we didn't pull it out of the case. We were looking at other stuff, which we posted, and we looked at some great stuff, but we didn't have time to look at everything. There's literally too many things sure. to look at. And um, so I'm reading up on the newer version, and stumble across a Fratello article, which references this ref. Okay, I want to say yeah, yeah. RJ or somebody picked this up a few years back and kind of was espousing how incredible right. it was. And then I and that this became very quickly on my radar. And you told me it was on your list for this episode, and I was so excited for it. Yeah, I I want to say that I've seen that article as well. It's and a few it, years old now. Yeah, it's uh, the original one. And, and I I haven't looked at it. I confess I did not like research it for this, so I don't know who wrote it. But I I think it was RJ. Um, RJ, hey, if you're listening. Um, but just such a fun watch, and the fact if if it was priced with a, a modern, you know, kind of 2022 appropriate price tag, I probably would steer clear of it. But for what you can get these things for, especially you know, like local sellers, man, it's compelling. It's everybody I, again. Depending on the ref you're looking for in condition, we're not pointing you in any particular direction, but we're on Chrono 24. Just no, don't pictures. say it. Don't say it. Don't okay, don't. Say it. Don't, wreck it. don't wreck it. Don't wreck it. Let's just say it's in the wheelhouse. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and everybody just uh, forget that I mentioned this watch because until <laughs> until I from the until I buy one, none of you can have this. That's okay. Nobody's gonna hear this. Don't piss in my pre-owned pool. <laughs> All right. So yeah, that's my first pick. So uh, let's go on to your man, second. That's, that's going to be hard to keep up with. All right, I think this one's going to strike uh, very closely with you. Okay. Which is a little bit out of my wheelhouse. And again, the last time we did a shared episode, I really, I think, branched out from what you would see sort of in my watch box. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you sort of, I think we're pleasantly surprised with, with that episode, what, where I came from, yeah, what you, I was doing. You picked the uh, Steel and Gold Seamaster 300, which uh, is on these, on my list. These, yeah, you're seeing a, a trend. Yeah. Uh, so, so I went, again, I'm building out what I think is a really compelling three-watch collection from the 2000s. Yep. This is something I, I think is ultimately cool, and I think you're very familiar with. This is the IWC Aquatimer. I particularly went with the Cousteau okay. edition um, diver. So this is a ref um, 3548. Yep. I believe. This is 42 millimeters. Um, it's got the sort of dual crown, super compressor look, inner rotating bezel. Um, this is limited to 1953 pieces, which is, I think is indicative of, of something related to Jacques Cousteau. Okay. Uh, could be a year, as in 1953 as a marker of something, or it could be you know something else. I can't remember the exact information on that, but it is yeah. a limited edition. Um, this is ultimately very cool execution of this model. Blue sunburst style with sort of orange accents um, uh, and, and sort of, you know, the orange accents, you know, not only on um, the inner rotating bezel, but around the rest of the, the, the piece. Um, there is a standard, uh, I hesitate to call it standard, but the sort of, you know, the regular edition, not limited, which is um, black with yellow accents. And I think that's something you know a lot about. Yeah, so I, I am familiar with this watch. I had that watch, not the not the Cousteau, but I had the thirty five thirty eight, which was the black with that blaze yellow. You know, I don't know what the, the term would be. I guess blaze is orange, but you know, signal yellow. I don't know what they call it. I like signal. Yeah, but the the inner rotating bezel, titanium execution for the case and the um, the bracelet. The bracelet on this thing is amazing. Well, how about this? 
it has the most potential of just about any bracelet, but it's it's oh it just misses slightly for me. I I had this watch, and I probably kept it a lot longer than I should have because it is so cool. I could I'm I'm a skinny dude. I had a hard time getting the thing to fit. It's 42, but for me it wore like 44 because it's got that kind of um, fairly like large, uh, you know, the the end link lug kind of configuration. It's not you know conventional it's not very flexible and so it it just sticks out like on the flanks further than you'd want but the bracelet itself was so well engineered it had these little push kind of um, dimples in each individual link and you would literally take like a toothpick and push that thing in and then from the side you could drift out a pin and every single one of those links had that so you could you know adjust this thing Significantly, The only thing was you could not adjust it on the fly, and it was a single trigger actuation. And combine that with the fact that I had a hard time getting the thing to fit me as anything close to its actual dial size. But it's a great, great watch. I actually, I didn't pick it, but on my list, I had the previous reference. So from the 90s, the IWC reference 370, I'm sorry, the... the, uh, uh, 3536. So the 3536 is, they made that I think also in titanium and in steel. And it was the one that had a more conventional external bezel. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, it's a, a regular single crown at three, external bezel, and the bezel was like a, a Yacht Master or like the, um, some of the Omega Seamasters, like the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, like the, the sailing relief. competition. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the relief bezel. So it's basically an all a chunk of metal where the the numerals are basically embossed into it instead of having a bezel insert, whether that's you know ceramic or some kind of metal like steel or, or aluminum or whatever. Um, the uh, uh, America's Cup. That's what I'm thinking. Of, ah, from yes. Omega. Yeah. Uh, Blancpain has some. There's there's a bunch, but that thing was so so cool. And I couldn't pick it because I just know for a fact that I, I can't wear that watch. I didn't want to torture myself by going down the rabbit hole. Although it is great. All of that whole sort of family, the 3536, 3538, 3548, they're very, very good on the IWC um, OEM rubber. And, and I want to say, Somebody yeah. could correct me, please, uh, and I'm, we're always happy to be sort of, you know, um, updated. The Cousteau, I've only seen on rubber. I don't know if the Cousteau came on bracelet as well or not. At this point, it's a, you know, a 20-some-odd-year-old watch. Um, it's possible that I, I, the only the only listings I've seen and the only people that I've seen um, posted who own it, it's been on rubber. But I don't know that. You know what, that's... Um... You could be right, because now I never kind of put two and two together, but I've never seen it on anything other than rubber either. So perhaps that's how IWC sold it. But there's also, it's it's rare as hen's teeth, but they have a um, an aftermarket. It's it's OEM, sorry, but it is a uh, uh, like after sales. I don't think you can buy it from them with the watch, but it's basically an N-Link piece that then has a like... Um, essentially like what amounts to a fixed spring bar and you can run a like a cloth fabric strap with uh velcro oh and so i've only seen that a few times i researched getting it for mine but you know the i ended up getting the rubber instead 
that did help um, and that's a great look for the watch, you know, especially if you have the matching, you know, buckle hardware and stuff. Super cool. That's a great choice. Well, it's a, it's, it's pretty cool. I've seen it in really minty condition where the orange is still really, um, you know, uh, uh, vivid. Yep. And I've seen it really faded out, which is also a very cool look. So if you want it wabi-sabi or you want it sort of, you know, a little more minty, you can go either way. Um, limited edition piece. IWC in the sort of 90s to 2000s yeah. range is super fun and interesting. It's running, you know, ETA, so it's easy to service. I mean, that's it's just super cool piece to me. Yeah, that's back when they, from the era where they used to have the ads that said engineered for men. <laughs> Different time and place. Yeah, man. Anyhow, we, okay, so we got another beer cracking. What are we opening? Okay, so this is the Smog City from LA Witlove, Wit, W-I-T, this is the White Ale Wit Beer. Let's stay on Belgians. Yeah. Smog City is a, uh, a great local beer. This is from Torrance, I believe. Yeah, I think I was going to say that as well. I was like, either Torrance or San Pedro, but I'm about 99% sure it's Torrance. There is, by the way, a place where you can taste and buy. They have an actual, like, satellite operation in Glendora, California. Didn't. Oh, uh, you know what? I may have just learned that. That's a good reminder. Yeah. So, you know, Anaheim Packing House or, like... Uh, What's the place downtown? Grand Central? Yeah. Like, I just can't think of it. But you know what I'm talking about? One large roof with a bunch of sort of upscale kiosks in there. It's basically like a uh, an elevated food court. They've got a great place to taste beer there. So anyway, that's an aside. Um, your IWC is a great pick. And IWC is... I ended up... I've got a couple of... Uh, honorable mentions from IWC in the end because we only went with three I didn't I didn't pick any of the IWCs especially since that 35 38 35 48 35 36 I just know they don't fit me but there's so many good things so if you're if you want something awesome from the early 2000s or the 90s IWC is the place to look my next choice so you're wearing and this would have been an easy one for me because this is also from the 90s. You're wearing the um, Tutima Military Chronograph. So that watch is one of my favorites. It's super evocative. But my next piece goes um, a little bit further in terms of like cult status. So my next sort of 1990s fit for my use uh, watch is the Zen EZM1. Have you seen this before? Are you familiar with the EZM1? This is the Einsatzzeitmesser, the mission timer. It's the kind of the first of the breed, and it is so cool. This I think is, this is everything that I think of when I think of Zen and I think of of, of Matt. Yeah, this is a um, you know kind of a, a mid-sized dive chronograph, super super kind of sterile Teutonic looking it's it's there's no numerals anywhere on it it's just you know all of the um, uh, the primary indices and then minute marks it's got the sort of the instrument handset and it is a Lamania 5100 powered watch so the Lamania 5100 is as a lot of people will know the claim to fame with this watch is super highly durable um, really lends itself to kind of military chronographs because it's it's super legible and the idea here is unlike the typical chronograph you do not read chronograph elapsed time on small tiny hard to read subdials both the elapsed second and elapsed minute hands are centrally mounted so they you know there's that kind of the white airplane hand on my tutima it's the orange 
on the EZM1, the entire handset is done in, um, in illuminated white. And the idea is it just absolutely strips everything down to the essentials. It is a Destrode chronograph. Um, we talked a little bit about this, why I think they did that. They, they, I think they personally made that design choice so you know the operator can manipulate the chronograph actuating buttons with the right hand, assuming the right hand is the dominant hand and the watch is worn on the left wrist. You can manipulate those buttons, start and stop the chronograph while you're retaining control of an MP5. And so you can use your thumb to do that um, the MP5 is a, you know, kind of a primary weapon, you know, for a, a lot of the units that this was, this watch was sort of uh, designed for. Um, it's a lot of lore about which units actually have this issue, you know, but this is basically their border police in, in Germany. And just super cool watch. They command a, a, a premium now. Um, you know, Tim Masso has one of these watches. There's a lot of guys from Dive Watch Connection have one of these. They actually reissued this watch in the form of an EZM 1.1 a few years ago. That's right, and we were doing prep for this. I was asking you about that. Yeah, so basically um, similar form factor. The only thing really different, and it's, it's a huge difference, is they plumped it up. So it was a, like a 44 millimeter watch instead of like a 40 or 41, depending on how you measure it with a bezel or whatever. Um, and that one, the newer one, has a 7750 base that's been highly modified so that it, it shows time in the same way and it shows elapsed time in the same way. So good on Zinn and a few other companies like Damasco for adopting that because it's, it's clearly superior as a, you know, a way to tell elapsed time in a cockpit or under duress. Agreed. Um, and you know, kudos to them for doing that. But the EZM1 is one of those where it's like if you have to ask in terms of like what it is or whatever, you're just not in the club. And that to me is, I don't know, that's kind of the snob thing that I have is, you know, it's not related to price, but it's like, what is it? If you know, you know, and if somebody recognizes your Zen EZM1 at the bar, you know you're going to have a good conversation with that person. This is, um, this is sort of peak, you know. Matt MCD GMT to me. Oh yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So love this watch. Um, one of these days, I'll probably end up owning one. I just I need to you know find the right one at the right time when I I feel crazy. But this the Tutima does definitely scratch a very similar edge. Arguably, the Tutima is probably a little more quote unquote legit. They they made these in larger numbers. These were you know a lot of a lot of pilots in NATO Air Forces and the um, you know, the Bundeswehr and Luftwaffe wore these watches, and it was this kind of ultimate Cold War symbol. But um, whereas this was a pilot's watch, the, the Tutima, the EZM-1 is like, you know, German special operations, you know, counterterrorism, secret squirrel, Adidas, uh, you know, tactical boot-wearing guys. So that's my choice. I think it's a wonderful one, and I think it's it's very on brand, and um, and one that I think is just eminently cool. Totally. Well, dude, what do you got next? All right, this is going to be the third watch of my collection. Again, this is sort of an interesting, compelling three watch collection to me that represents the decade. Again, not exactly you know doesn't mean that this would be the three watches I would choose for myself. Although I would take any of these three and have considered on multiple occasions. But again, a, a well rounded collection in my opinion. 
you know, for these these sort of, you know, we, we tend to try and dig up some really interesting, maybe lesser known um, watches, things that are maybe off the beaten path, maybe things that have an interesting history, or things that maybe not, you don't see on a sort of daily basis on social media or, or in different watch media. Right. I leaned right into it on this one because I think in some ways this is what, something that I, I sort of um, dismissed for a long time and as I look back on it now is it's really super cool. I'm going Rolex Air King. Ooh. So again, we're rewinding back to the early, you know, 2000 to 2010, you know, time frame for, for Air Kings. Um, there's a, there's a, ton a ton of variants in a cool way in the air king lineup in this time period and earlier of course but we're focusing on sort of this you know 2000s right now i'm going particularly with what would be reference 14010 black dial um 34 millimeter this is the engine turned ish bezel so you know what this era of rolex engine yeah. turn bezels looks like yep and this is a, a very basic black dial with just stick markers. The reason I went with this particular reference of the Air King for this three-watch collection was this to me would be the daily driver, right? So I have a, a really wonderful, kind of elegant Blanc Pond, you know, for sort of dress occasions, but also could be dressed down. We've got the Aqua Timer, you know, the Cousteau Diver for sort of fun weekend activities, kind of big, more, you know, noticeable sort of rest presence. Right. You could rock this. Air King, day in, day out, dress up, dress down. This does it all, but it still has some flair. It still has some really kind of interesting personality. And at 34 millimeters, it's gonna blend in, I think. Um, but the reason I wanted to highlight the Air King of this era was you could really go left or right from here and find really cool, interesting stuff that people probably sort of tend to forget about. Yeah, this was when the Air King was cool. This I remember, I, so I, I, while well, I think that the one that they just released is an improvement over the previous one, which was a just a disaster. Well, uh, it would have been probably a lot cooler if like the whole Bloodhound SST thing had played out. It didn't, and it you know I I sort of jokingly refer to this that Air King or the modern Air King is the you know the Rolex reference five 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 decimal five five five. So I think they fixed that by, you know, adding a little balance with the zero for the zero five. They did. And changed the case and all that stuff. So I would I would be happy with that watch, but it was so much more characterful. Is that oh, a word? It was... In the past? Uh, I, I hesitate to say the most character rich of the lineup, but damn close. And it can make an argument for it. So am, I'm, I'm right, right? That they had one... I. I don't know what the term would be, but it was almost like concentric circles within the dial, and they made that tuxedo-looking thing where it was kind of like a black on, and I don't know if it was like an off-white or whatever, but you know what I'm, the one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, they almost a like a sector dial. Uh, yeah. It was incredible. Um, you know, I have sort of on my list here sort of, I don't want to go into my honorable mentions for the actual three watches I picked, but sort of in the Air King lineup, I could have went a couple different ways. Yep. I went with this black dial end turn because I thought it had a lot of character still for being pretty um, demure but still like had some cool things going on with it. Yeah. Easily could have went with what I believe is ref 14000, which is a salmon dial explorer dial. So the Air Kings at that oh. time also had 369 explorer dials. I've seen those. Yeah, those and are And that good. is gorgeous. You could easily wear that salmon dial every day too. I just picked one of the black dogs. I thought it was a little more sort of anything up down. Um, but that salmon dial explorer dial is just absolutely cool. 
And then what you're referencing, and I, I picked out particularly the blue the blue dial, but there is the, the version you're discussing, the, the tuxedo. The 114234 is this sort of, again, concentric circles. This is the blue dial. Concentric circles uh, from, from center to outer of the dial with large Arabic numerals um, that go the entire uh, 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 entirety of the dial from yeah. 1 to 12. And they, and they go from sort of right side up all the way to upside down and back right side up again. Yeah, I've seen those. And they're those. orange. The numerals are orange on that particular I've, dial. I've seen those. They're so awesome. If you know, if you really want to like torture yourself, go look at Bob's watches. I haven't seen it in a while. But I mean, in, in previous years, I would take a look at that like once a week and I would just kind of peruse the Air Kings because there's so much variety where the date justs, again, because there's so much variety. Same. And... Yeah. Um, that was when those watches, as, as we said, were like super fun. There was a huge variety. Now the, the Air King is the Air King. It's, you know, there's one reference for it. It looks this way. But, you know, back then there was a lot going on with it. Cool watch. million different avenues you could take. You could go fun and funky. You could go very sort of under the radar and, and sort of a little more stealth. And so um, look at Air Kings from the 2000s or even before, of course. Really yeah. cool. No, that's a good choice, Greg. I like it. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to wrap it up. We have um, on my wrist, as I said, for the wrist check today was the, the Blanc Pond, the 50 Fathoms, the Bathys Calf. You picked a uh, the Villaray, right? A complicated watch. But in the late 90s, I think in 97, they launched a series of sport watches. There were three of them. And the family of watches is kind of referred to collectively as the trilogy. So it's the... You know, the uh, Blanc Pond, I think everything has the nomenclature like 50 Fathoms Trilogy. And, oh yeah, so you, yeah, Greg just pulled this up. But this is the jam, basically, right? There is the, the Air King, or not the Air King, sorry, the Air Command. Mm -hmm. Okay. There is the, um, the 50 Fathoms and then the 50 Fathoms GMT. And as I said before, I'm kind of eschewing right the the obvious choice for me personally which is the rolex gmt master but i'm getting myself back by picking this the blanc pond 50 fathoms gmt trilogy this thing is the best of kind of I, well when you look at that right again this has got the relief embossed um, bezel that you would expect to see like on a dive watch or something like a yacht master yep. right um, executed to the same very, very high standard, arguably better. And it's a 24-hour uh, bezel, but this thing is um, just so, so sharp. Loom for days. It's got that sword, the Blanc Pond, like late 90s sword hands that you would expect to see like on the, the Omega 2254 that everybody loves. Very similar. 3, 6, 9, and 12 at the cardinal, you know, kind of uh, uh, indices, right? So those are numerals. Otherwise, it is uh, kind of the, the rectangular index everywhere else. And your favorite dace placement and mine, the 430, but this is this very is well executed. Well. This is very well executed. The Blanc Plan does it great. The, the date is basically hiding between the 4 and 5 o'clock um, indices super bright you know red uh, gmt hand it is my understanding i've i've been able to hold these things but not a running watch but my understanding is it is a jumping hour uh, gmt again frederick bk movement high spec movement very highly decorated 
long power reserve. I think this is the 100 hour power reserve. So this is gonna give you essentially four days, you know, straight. Bracelet's very well constructed, a little clunky, mm -hmm. but you know, very well constructed, not super thick. And this thing looks and wears kind of like a dive watch. It's not fish nor fowl. Um, I absolutely love these things and there's a huge value to be um, to be had in these watches because I, I don't know how else to describe it. it. To me, this is a thousand times cooler than anything Rolex made in the era. It's a thousand times cooler than anything Omega made in the era because there's a lot of actual handwork. This is a true, you know, long power reserve movement, highly accurate, great, great kind of functionality for somebody like me that likes you know a watch that can kind of go anywhere do anything you have decent water resistance but at the same time it's got my favorite complication the gmt and yeah i'm i am all about this watch this is one of my favorite watches of all time and i think i've told this story before on the pod when we had cameron on yeah I, right. I had been like eyeballing it was in the cart wasn't it a few it times was, <laughs> yeah it was it was in the cart and i was like okay you know what i gotta i just you know i'm gonna be disciplined i'm gonna wait for my bonus i'm not gonna you know put it on a card or whatever i, I like to pay cash for watches and I just didn't want to do it. I was going to wait a couple days. And I, I came back like when I was ready to get it. Like literally a day later, it's gone. And like the next day, it's on Cameron Weiss's feed. So <laughs> thanks, Cameron. I hope you're enjoying it. I need to, to, you know, eventually circle back and get this watch. But this whole family of watches, they're fantastic. Um, and they're a different animal than the modern 50 Fathoms, yes. which is as much as I love it and as great as it is, it's an iconic piece, but it is it is kind of puffy. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just slightly swollen, right? It's the watch got stung by a bee or something. But um, these are not. This is much more kind of a modest size. It, it still has some presence. It's got some heft, but it's not a 45 or, you know, whatever i think the uh, 50 fathoms is 45 and then the bezel adds a little bit of girth this is a lot smaller much more wearable every day a little more restrained and phenomenal watch so that is i think to me that is peak late 1990s sport watch design nothing is better than that i mean literally nothing full stop uh, you nailed it. You know, um, we had Chase's Air Command on um, with the sort of uh, you know fiberglass reinforced rubber, you know, rubber and steel bracelet for that episode. We talked about this. He and I did after the fact. The trilogy is a really cool set of watches, right? Land, sea, and water, um, and uh, it's just it's just cool as hell. You know, full stop. It's about as cool as it gets. Yeah, I when you think about it, like the the. The looks, the aesthetics are not particularly dated. Like it, it still looks good now. It mm -hmm. still looks modern. It looks of its era, but good now. It looks like it's gonna look good in 10 or 20 years. The specs on it are phenomenal. Um, you know, a true halt movement, a lot of handwork. When you look at these watches through the case back, this one does not have an exhibition case back. The modern watches, now that they're using more amagnetic materials, they don't need the you know the iron um, cage. Yeah. yeah, that so they can do away with that and they can open up the case back. You can see and it, when you look at it at first, it doesn't look like anything special. These movements, but then when you look at it under a loop and you're like, oh, okay, I see what they did here. So much more, you know, the anglage is all like just superb. 
But you picked up a great loop it. recently, not too, well, I did. a little while ago from from Hovig's, Natalie over at Hovig's Supply Shop, right? Yeah, yeah, that thing's like the the Uber loop. Um, you like see details for days on with that thing, but it's uh, it gives you kind of this watch and and its siblings give you everything you want at a, a reasonable price. Obviously, you've got to go look for them. You know, they don't make tons of them. They're, they're, this is truly there's some exclusivity here. You know, this is not. You know, the crown that is making a million plus uh, units a year. You know, this is a couple of thousand probably of each model at the most. And, yeah, I I love it. This this uh, this would be the thing of the three that I picked. This would be the one that I, I would most actually want to have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. That's a cool one. Well, I think you and I each had a few, like, sort of honorable mentions. Yeah. So maybe we could just, you know, without going into too great detail, because I think we want to, you know... Uh, put a bow on this at, at some point shortly, but maybe some offer up our, our honorable mentions before we sort of recap each of our three watch collections. Yeah, well, so I ended up not picking any of the IWCs that I thought of, um, mainly because, again, uh, I, I know, for instance, that that Aqua Timer doesn't work for me in any of its guises. It's just, it's so close, but it's a miss. But there's another great watch, the, the Flieger Chronograph, the 3706. Um, for people who are interested in that, I highly recommend you look at Zen because they make something very similar. So the IWC is great though, um, just really well executed, and it's it's the classic kind of archetypal look for mm -hmm. that sort of watch. Yeah, it really is. Um, the other one, this I mean, this is a watch that I love, and I probably will eventually own one of these. But you know, early '90s Breitling Aerospace. Yes. Pick your pick your reference. We saw that gold one. <laughs> that was so badass. But to me, that was just not um, not special enough or unique enough to the '90s because I mean, it still exists, um, you know. So it was, I don't know. There's enough of a through line to modern watches to not make it, to not make the cut, basically. And then, uh, you know, I think the other thing that I had out there is I chose the Omega Seamaster Chronograph, right? The the titanium gold tantalum, but you know, the, the obvious choice, but still a great choice, would just be the, the garden variety blue wave dial, kind of custardy, tritium, you know, loom marker, Omega Seamaster 300, the original Bond watch. 100%. I mean, yep. I think if we did this in terms of icons of the decade, that probably would have been, had to, probably would have had to have been, you know, one of the three. Yep. Uh, but in this instance, you know, this is personal preference and taste. But um, at the same point, either way, it cuts both ways. Yeah, totally. Well, how about you? What are your... Well, you took the 90s, and so I couldn't help myself. I made my own three-watch collection for the 90s as well. Sure. And so that's going to be my honorable mention. So you picked something <laughs> that I, I, it's not on this list, but I did research because I can see your notes. So <laughs> hit it. I made my own three-watch collection from the 90s because I would, if I had my, if I had my druthers, I would have done the 90s and the 2000s and built a six-watch collection. <laughs> yeah, why not? But I had to play within rules. So my three-watch collection for the 90s, without getting too, too far, unless, of course, we want to talk about it, is, again, I went with a... I went with another chronograph, the Omega Dynamic Ooh. chronograph, which is so freaking cool. That's the one with the yellow accents? Absolutely. Yep. And the, the amazing numerals around the dial. There's the three-hander and the chronograph. Both are very cool. And I love both, but I went with the chronograph for this particular three-watch collection. Uh, the Chopard uh, LUC 1860. This is the, with the caliber 1.96. This is a very important watch for Chopard, but also, I think, in watchmaking in general. Chopard really, I think cemented itself into what we might know them as right now 
with this movement, yeah. which has been hailed by watchmakers, you know, from across the world. Uh, this is that micro rotor, 24 karat, you know, um, yeah. gold rotor. I mean, this is to me, timeless, beautiful watch design. This is a dress watch. Easily, again, I think you could go up or down with it, but this to me is the epitome of a, of a beautiful, handsome watch. Um, I would love to own it. It's gotten very popular as people have appreciated what it, you know, what it represents. Um, but I think it, it is very, a very cool piece. Uh, and finally, this was my way to sneak in a root beer. Ooh. If you go GMT Master 2, 16713. Yes, I know. still getting a root beer. Yeah. It's not the nipple dial, but this is damn cool. And so in my, in, in, in my, my alternative, you know, bizarre universe where I was able to take three watches from the 90s, you know, like I did, I've got the Omega Dynamic Chronograph, the Chopard LUC um, 1860, the Caliber 1.96. And, uh, and a GMT, the GMT Master 6161713. So yeah, I, I was looking at Chopard stuff. I mean, obviously, I, I love the GMT Master 2, but um, 2TOO. But the uh, Chopard is super interesting. And then, it, you know, I got kind of the, the hook reset, you know, when we went to Feldmar, because they carry Chopard now. They do, yeah. That Alpine Eagle, I know that's kind of, it's a thing right now. They don't have that. They didn't have it, at least not, you know, when we were there. But um, the, the LUC, that family of watches, I mean, that's serious, like legit. Uh, I, I don't know technically what constitutes, you know, um, hot, you know, watchmaking in terms of the movement, but I mean, that's gotta be in that family. And there's so many cool things. They got some cool GMT watches, some cool sports watches, underappreciated. Unfortunately, they're not made in large numbers, so they, they do tend to be a little pricey. Yes. But, um, you know they're out there. They're huntable. They're a lot bigger in Europe, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it is. Yeah, you know, I mean, look at that. That's for, that is gorgeous. You know, look it up, guys. Uh, you know, everybody that's listening. But I mean, it's, this is a classically styled dress watch, uh, sub seconds, uh, with a with a date. I think it's six, which people maybe could take or leave. I think it's quite fine in this instance. I think instance. that's great. Yeah. Um, beautiful kind of guilloche work on this kind of intersector dial. Um, it's just it's it's mesmerizing. Um, and I think it's, it, it, you know, if you turned it over, you saw that gold micro rotor, uh, the finishing on the bridges, um, it's just, it's stunning. Yeah. It's stunning work. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's, um, visually, you know, people will have all kinds of different reasons for preferring something different or whatever, but I mean, visually, I don't see how this loses anything from, you know, a comparison to say, you know, Lange or Patek Philippe or, you know, anything else. Obviously there's... You know, there's those are maybe in more rarefied, and you'll see tier. plenty of articles where people talk about sort of the the, the appreciation of you know Philip D four and the simplicity, right? And you'll see some sort of you know hallmarks of that, and it's you know it's in some ways you know you can see the through lines. Yeah, but that's that's a great watch. piece. That's arguably, I think that's probably the nicest looking watch we've talked about today. So anyhow, Easily. I mean that could be you know we talk about one watch collections all the time. That could yeah. be one. Well, I think that'll do it for watches, man. Do you yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's let's tell people again our three watch collections. Let me run through yours, and then maybe you could again just kind of list them for folks because it's been a long, a kind of a, a wide ranging conversation. Um, but we'll sort of just list back out. So I'm going to start with with Matt's three watches that represent the the 1990s uh, as a, a really compelling three watch collection. This is the Omega Seamaster uh, Professional 300 Chronograph. Yep. Um, blue dial, uh, titanium, uh, rose gold, tantalum just absolutely stunning piece this is 
eminently cool. Uh, this uh, Zin EZM1, uh, which really sort of, you know, tactical, total Zin all the way, Destro, um, you know, this is, yeah, I think peak matte MCD GMT. Yeah, that shoots you in the face vibes. It does. And finally, the, the Blanc Pond 50 Fathoms uh, GMT Trilogy, um, which in, in Matt's estimation is sort of, you know, ultimate, you know, 90s watch in terms of, you know, design, function, uh, form, factor, everything. Yep. Yeah, totally. And from Greg, Greg has some great choices as well, uh, starting with the, the Blancpain Villaray, the Moon Phase Reference 6553. This is that. Now, did you prefer the 18 karat, you know, the rose gold reference, or did you want like a steel execution? Or, I, I, I think it was the, the gold, gold, right? Yeah, that's the one you got to go with. Um, next choice, oh, this was this was near and dear to me because I've, I've got some experience with this form factor, and that's the IWC Aquatimer Cousteau Divers Reference 35. 48. This is the twin crown inner rotating bezel with that real nice positive click. Super, super cool. Um, this is an Eta powered watch on on rubber. Um, you could, I'm, I feel very confident that you could put the bracelet on it if you wanted, because uh, I think this was executed in steel, not in titanium. I think you're right. Yeah. So they they definitely have a steel version of this. And then the third watch, and this is almost like take your pick from. There's like a whole range of these that are so cool. But the Rolex Air King uh, 14010, these are the 34 millimeter watches with the 3130 movement. And you can have these things that look kind of like, you know, Explorer Juniors with the salmon dial. You can have much more formal kind of, you know, black with the stick hands, or I should say stick indices. And everything in between. We, we talked about that that tuxedo presentation. Um, I've seen, I want to say there's blue dials, there's Absolutely. white dials, silver dials. Back when, uh, you know, make the Air King great again, just go back to that. That's, I like that. That's, that's a good tagline. Yeah, for sure. Well, so those are your three and my three. We are, we're running a little long. Um, I can't believe the roofers are still working next door. I mean, it's, it's getting like genuinely late, but we've got the, the light is out. Maybe, I don't know, we should offer them a beer later. But um, do you have any final notes? Any kind of last minute recommendations yeah. or anything like that? Yeah, you know, it's summertime, so I feel like most people are kind of recommending like travel and, and stuff like that. And of course, we're trying to be outdoors as much as possible. But a couple really good, uh, you know, shows for when it's late at night and you're sort of, you know, winding down for the evening. Um, watch Hustle. The new ad, newest Adam Sandler movie on Netflix. Uh, Matt joked the other day, I only liked it because I'm a 76ers fan. Uh, he might not be wrong, but I do think it's actually a very good, very good movie. Um, check it out. It's, it's essentially Adam Sandler's playing this sort of uh, NBA scout for the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, he's hoping to be uh, on the bench as a coach, but really he's tasked with finding the kind of next great prospect for the team, for the organization. Um, and he finds one abroad, uh, but it's, he's sort of a, a long shot, you know, sort of uh, under the radar, you know, underdog story. Um, there's actually very little basketball action in the movie, so don't think Rudy, where we're watching like sort of, you know, fourth and one at the goal line. Right. You know, um, so if you're not a sports fan, uh, don't immediately tune it out. It's really more of um, family dynamics, sort of underdog mentality, uh, sort of overcoming odds, perseverance, and there is basketball. A lot of NBA players in it, and actually two of them put in really spectacular performances as actors. Uh, and it's nice to see Adam Sandler, in my estimation, return to like a really 
cool place. I thought Uncut Gems a few years back, two years ago or so, was, was really spectacular. For a few years before that, I sort of discounted almost any movie he put out. I thought it was just sort of, he was sort of Netflix bloated, had a lot of money and put out, in my, my estimation, sort of really garbage. And uh, I hope you're not talking about that murder mystery movie. Because uh, no, I love that movie. I'm not. I'm not. There was a Halloween movie that is. Uh, was oh, that was atrocious. terrible. That was terrible. I wanted to like that. That <laughs> was like that was like others. Halloween meets the Waterboy. So bad. That was not going to work. So bad. So yeah. that was really fantastic. And then uh, you know I'm watching Peaky Blinders. I, I let it slide for a few years, and that's a just a very cool period piece. Uh, and I think the newest season, season six, is out. So. Yeah, I, um, I can vouch for all of that. I've started Peaky Blinders. I'm a latecomer to that. I've known it's a big deal for a long time, and I'm finally getting into it. It's super cool. I also just saw the Adam Sandler movie, the Hoops movie. Very, very good. Um, really shows interesting range, kind of interesting to see, you know, so many. It's like literally a cast of thousands, right, of, of you know, current and former NBA superstars. Um, so super cool. I have also a kind of a, a sports... Uh, recommendation as well so you know uh, just a couple weeks ago was Le Mans the 24-hour race the greatest race controversial race this year oh highly for for me I mean I'm still super butthurt about Corvette super butthurt that's some bullshit anyway um, the uh, the recommendation that I have is just a, a film that you can find it's it's distributed in various places i think right now it's on amazon but look for it elsewhere you know it may be on different platforms you can probably find it on dvd somewhere it's just called hurley h-u-r-l-e-y yes. so hurley is um a film made by patrick dempsey you know so patrick dempsey um you know famous for gray's anatomy and some other films but that's mainly what he's known for but in the motorsport world, Patrick Dempsey is legit. It, I mean, at least as legit as somebody like a Paul Newman. So as an actor who's really put in the work and, and done what he needs to do to drive, he's, he's been a driver. He's competed in um, endurance racing primarily with uh, Porsche platforms. He sponsor a, a whole team, too. Yeah, he's, he's a team owner, um, you know, uh, Dempsey Proton Racing. And they've been doing that for years. I want to say he finished second in class in Le Mans. So he basically tied, if you will. If, if my memory serves, I didn't put this in my notes, but that's basically as good as Newman ever did. Um, you know, so he's amazing uh, contributions to kind of the sport. And he made this movie about um, one of the best and most important, um, like, multi-category drivers in the 70s and into the 80s it's this guy Hurley Haywood and Hurley Haywood is an interesting story because he was super super effective behind the wheel and he was a closeted gay man so this is June this is Pride Month and um, it's it's especially kind of noteworthy now to kind of go back and examine this guy's life and his achievements and how um how interesting a study it was to look back and see how much of his um, his life had to be kept from people, and how much the I guess the the you know the the way the times treated him in that era it was it was an open secret is my understanding, but it was just one of those things where I think probably a lot of people accepted him, probably a lot of people did not. And it's, um, it's interesting and sad to see, like, his relationship with his partner. Right. How, did you, so have you seen it? I have. Yeah, so it's, it's um, you know, things are clearly much different 
everybody knows, etc. It's not like, you know, he's uh, living life in the closet and not having to be kind of his full authentic self. But there's still, um, you know, significant kind of residual hurt in his relationship and his life. That's how I interpreted it. And it's just, I don't know. I think it's an important thing for people into, into motorsport in particular, if you're a Porsche fan, but also just kind of a, uh, a student of how, how society has evolved kind of in, in the Western world over the past 30 years. You know, as, as great as things are now, um, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, this guy's still alive. Yeah, and um, he's down on... God, I, I say that, and I'm like, oh, geez, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's still alive. Right? As, as, of the, as of the filming of the documentary, yeah. yes. Um, you know, I just... So many people in the past year, I'm like, oh, I didn't make notes for this. But, you know, it's a, um, a fascinating look back, not just as a motorsport kind of retrospective, but as a kind of a, a, a cultural commentary, mm-hmm. you know, on things. Um and while it's great to see that that achievement is is not lost its luster and that everything can still be celebrated um, you know that it's still it's not like uh, you know the problems the pain the weight you know on on the shoulders of people in that position are just you know magically go away um, yeah so no, it's, it's a powerful movie it is it's timely I'm glad you brought that up for you know for, for sort of pride month and everything and um you know, sort of the muchismo that exists in the sport, you know, I think the lifestyle, especially in the time, you know, that we're describing. Um, really fascinating look. And uh, I had appreciation for, for Patrick Dempsey as sort of, a, like you said, as a racer, as a producer, or what I don't know exactly what his screen credits were, director or producer or whatever. But, I, uh, yeah, I, I want to say on that one, probably both. Yeah. Yep. Very um, cool. Very fascinating watch. Uh, I'd remiss to say uh, that if you're on Amazon Prime, almost a significant portion of the bond library is on prime right now yeah they took it down a little after no time to die came out you know i'm sure they wanted people to get out to the theaters um so if you're you know looking for a bond fix uh jump over to amazon prime too because i mean there's a pretty heavy offering right now all the way from you know early stuff sean connery through roger moore and, and, and dawson and everybody so uh, dalton excuse me so um anyway another little final note Right on. Well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and close it up on that. We have a, a slightly quiet moment. I only hear hammers and not whatever that was, rotary hammer or belt sander or whatever. But, dude, it's good to see you. Thanks for having us. Here's to you. This is our last sip. Cheers. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.